1: Thanks for having me, Whitney. No, I'm honored to have you here all the way from Israel. Thank you again for staying up late and making this happen. But a little about David, he's a principal at YDLP Investment Group. He has sourced over $3.5 million in equity from mostly smaller investors for U.S. commercial real estate investments, creating an online course to educate people to invest in commercial real estate as well as a regular educational newsletter. So, David, thank you again for your time and being willing to push through and stay up and make this happen. So give the listeners a little more about who you are and what your focus is. Yeah. So just as a background,
0: I started off in Israel as a mortgage broker. For residential mortgages, people buying homes. And the way it operates here is it's very difficult to obtain a mortgage. The cost of housing here relative to income is very high. So I came across a very large population that had money that anywhere from fifty to $200,000 and they weren't able to do anything with it. So to make a long story short, I found a partner who has 13 years experience as an analyst. He's underwritten over $180 million in purchases. And we teamed up and we were working with this crowd to help them invest their money into U.S. commercial real estate in a diversified way, so we take small minimums, and that we encourage people to spread their money around a number of deals. And of course, in doing this, we've expanded to young professionals in the U.S. People also who have money and they were credited, but not necessarily able to enter into deals at the hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand dollar mark that oftentimes minimums are set at. And they're able to come into our deals at a comfortable level.
1: Wow! Could you give us maybe an example of a deal that you're working on where it involved, like you know, investors in the U.S. or investors in Israel? You know, that had to go back and forth.
0: I don't even go back and forth. The way we structure our deals is we'll create. This is how we get these larger sponsors to work with us and with our investors. Is we create an LLC for every deal that we do, and for all of just for our investors
1: in the states.
0: Yeah, it's a U.S. LLC. Everything is done stateside. And the investors come into that LLC, and then that LLC enters a deal as a single investor. So that kind of shields the sponsor, the GP, from having to deal with all the complications of the smaller investors and of the foreign investors. And in terms of dealing with foreign investors, there are a couple of different scenarios that play out. There's obviously the scenario of the investor who's not a US citizen at all, in which case you have to get the right tax form, and you have to withhold, and, you have to, and that has an impact on your marketing as well, because you have to inform them. You're marketing a deal, 8%, 9%, 10% cash on cash, but hey, wait a minute. There's like, I think it's 36%, there's a 9% withholding on that money, and then you get it back when you file taxes the next year. So I've spoken to different people about this. I kind of sell it as, you know, the first year the returns are lower, and then the next year you get a bonus at the end. So it only kind of impacts the first year because by the second year you're getting back your refund on the first year. I have one person I spoke to who says he sells it as basically you get paid in five quarters. So you get like the four payments over the year, and then you get your fifth quarter after the year. So you have to package that and prepare people for it. The most complicated situation we encounter is when you have somebody who's a U.S. citizen who's living abroad, who doesn't even realize he's a citizen or doesn't think about it, a kid of U.S. parents who's living abroad, who technically has to file taxes in the U.S., but never has really been doing that. And all of a sudden, if they're going to come into a deal, that's going to put them on the IRS's radar. Now, I'm not telling people to evade, not evade what to do, but I have to just inform them these are the ramifications. Do with it what you will. He's got to be aware of how all these pieces fit together, not just for the singular investment, but for the entire broader picture.
1: See, now that is a scenario that I wouldn't have even thought of. You know, so a U.S. citizen that's living abroad, maybe they've lived abroad, you mean like their whole life.
0: Yeah. I have people, their parents moved here you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They were born here. They don't even speak English, but they have a social security number.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: They don't even know they have to file in the U.S. And I start talking to them about it. And then they realize, hey, if you go into this deal, all of a sudden you've got to start filing and reporting for taxes all the money you earn, which legally is what they have to do. And I tell them, this is what you legally have to do, but I'm not getting involved beyond that point.
1: No, that's awesome. And tell me, are there any special or, or specific things that you do to notify these investors of these things? I mean, just like having to withhold the taxes and things like that, or anything you do out of the norm to make sure they're aware of these things?
0: Yeah, anything that's going to impact their cash flow, or anything that's going to impact anytime a first time investor comes on, their first question after they agree to go into a deal, or sometimes even before, is what happens now? Like, what's the process now? So, you know, for a US investor, simply, you know, you wire the money, I'll send you the forms, you sign everything, you're done. With a first-time foreign investor, you have to, okay, now you got to go get yourself a tax identification number, and you're probably going to find yourself an accountant who kind of handles these situations, and you're going to be filing taxes, at least on the U.S. earned income every year. So you have to get them set up with that. You know, it used to be you could open bank accounts for people from abroad. Now it's virtually impossible, so you just do direct transfers into their accounts in Israel. But you have to just be aware of what's going to be going on, as I said, how it impacts their returns. And that's where the withholding comes in.
1: So do you have U.S. investors who are also investing in the U.S., but through you or through your connection? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Do you come to the U.S. often or are you marketing here? How do you make those connections? Yeah, so I network a lot. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And
0: that's how I think we got connected and I really do need to come to the U.S. more often. But there's a lot of activity here in Israel. There's a lot of interest here in Israel. There's a lot of people coming here on a regular basis, especially within my circles. I've been building off of that. But trips to the U.S. is definitely on the radar for sometime in the uh, intermediate future.
1: I'm just impressed that like you're raising capital in the U.S. for U.S. deals, and you're in Israel, and there's people you know in the States that are like trying so hard to raise capital. And you know, you're so much further away. Anyway, I just, I'm going to bring that up. I get so many calls every week of how to start raising capital. How do I get into this business and how difficult it is? And I'm going to tell them about you. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's easy. I don't know.
0: Sometimes you even know where the money's coming from, but yeah, you
1: have to, it's work. You got to
0: network, you got to hustle, you got to build reputation and you know, it takes time.
1: And I know you had mentioned you help people with like healthy ways to work with money. And could you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So it kind of all started when I started raising money and talking to people. And I had these deals that, I mean, I thought, this is what everyone thinks is starting their first business, is like, I'm just going to create this amazing product, this amazing service. and I'll just tell people about it and I'll be a millionaire overnight because everyone's going to want to do this thing. So I go out there, I get my first deal and it was like an amazing deal, like an 11% cash on cash. Like, you know, very easy, like triple your money in 10 years type of situation, very stable property, great tenants. And I'm going out there and it's like, nobody wants it. I was like, oh, but it's so risky and it's so far away. And, and I kept coming up, it's so risky, it's so risky. I'm like, what do you mean it's risky? So I started spending a lot of time just thinking about, reading about, learning about these concepts to be able to understand it in a deep way and be able to explain it to people in a deep way in my course that you mentioned, the actual first section I have is on risk quantification because risk is an important thing, but it's very important to understand what it is and how it's going to impact. And a lot of people just hear investing money, you can lose money, which is true. But, you know, holding cash, you know, there's something called inflation. And over time, your money loses value also. Something called it's an opportunity cost. And you know there are going to be expenses coming up in your life. You have children. You have to send them to school. You have to marry them off. You have to plan for retirement. Have you even thought all that out? You know, these guaranteed expenses that are coming up, that's also a risk. And if you're not even thinking about that, I mean, that seems to me a lot riskier than putting your money into a stable or a number of stable cash-producing properties, So I kind of started off with that, I've expanded it into different areas of personal finance, just taking certain principles and trying to show and use them to show people a way to think about money that promotes building passive income, that promotes wealth creation, and I'm trying to cover all different aspects of one's financial life and building it out piece by piece.
1: Would you say when people or investors are asking you about the risk or you know, or that seems common, would that be more common than its investors say that are in Israel talking about investing in U.S. deals? Absolutely. People in Israel are used to certain things. First of all, they're afraid to put their money far away.
0: And there's legitimacy to that because one of the biggest risks in investing is investing in something you don't understand. If something is nearby – you tend to understand it better. So there is a certain truth to that intuition. Secondly, the Israeli real estate market, it's very different than the U.S. market. It's been on basically a very slow trudge upwards for many, many years. It doesn't have the same boom-bust cycle. It doesn't have the same profit levels. It doesn't have the same level of financing. It's a different kind of market. So Israelis are kind. People who are here are much more, the mentality here is that Israeli real estate is a zero-risk proposal, which is not true. But the mentality is that the markets here have fallen. And markets here, there are years where the market's been down, but usually it's a soft like 1%, 2% down, a soft thing in the market. But typically people here are much more optimistic about the market here than I think is warranted. Like, for example, there's a period when the market doubled over 10 years, which is nice. It's like 7% a year. And people were telling me, oh, it just doubled. I said, that's great. So you think this apartment that you bought for $300,000 and now it's worth $600,000, do you really think in another 10 years it's going to be worth you know, $1.2 million? It's going to be worth in 20 years $2.4 million. And it gets them thinking, wait a minute, maybe it's not going to continue like that.
1: But you have to just frame it in a way that they realize
0: it. But yeah, coming from here, there is a certain reluctance to putting your money outside of the country. Absolutely.
1: I can hear those questions from investors saying, now, wait a minute, David, you know, how do you know this deal? You know, have you seen the deal? Or how do you know these operators? I would imagine you get those questions, right? Probably a lot of others. And how do you answer those?
0: Absolutely. So we only work with a very small group of operators that we know incredibly well. They either are people who we know personally that they've been in the business for. I mean, our youngest operator is 10 years in the business and he's a second generation guy. We have partners who have been doing this for 20 and 30 years. So these guys have their track records. In addition to the track records, we have personal connections with them, which is really the only way we're getting our money in. You know, one of my biggest brags is I was able to put investments as small as $20,000 into a deal which was like a $125 million purchase price. Wow. You know, that's a certain degree of access. And the guy running that deal is, I mean, he's, purchased over $4 billion in office space and been doing this for 35 years. So yeah, but I do sell my partner's track records. What I also sell is that we underwrite the deals ourselves and we analyze them ourselves. And my partner is an analyst of 13 years. And I've been doing this for a number of years now. So we do our own analysis and we ask a lot of questions. When we talk about picking your sponsors and picking your partners carefully, we're talking about the people on the ground in the U.S. who have the decades of experience running these deals.
1: Nice. What did you say 3 decades he's been doing it for. There are the least experienced one been doing it for 10 years and as a second generation. Yeah. So that's a lot of experience there. And it's hard to replace something like that. Yeah. It takes a lifetime, right? I mean, to get that kind of experience and that's who you're partnering with. So, you know, what does it look like in your business? Like, let's say five years from now, keep growing your network, keep doing what you're doing, partnering with operators in the U.S. or or do you plan to keep pursuing anything in uh, Israel as well? Uh, Or is it mostly U.S. focused and raising money uh, while in Israel? That's a great question.
0: I mean, look, I go where the opportunity lies. If I get good deals in Israel, something comes up here that makes sense, I'm happy to pursue it and see what I can do with it. In today's market, the best kind of thing we're seeing here is something called Tama 38. What that is, is it's retrofitting a building to make it more earthquake resistant. Let's just leave it at that. That's the basic type it's done. So basically developers will come in and what they can do is the way it's set up and then there are tax incentives to do this and that's what makes it profitable. An investor will come in and take a building with with say eight apartments and, and then they get permission to build out another five apartments and everyone in the building, they agree to do this. They all get newer and larger apartments and the developer gets five apartments to sell. And to invest in this type of project, you'll typically make somewhere between anywhere between nine and on the top side, 14 percent a year. It's usually debt and you don't get paid it over time. You get paid at the end of the deal. So the risk is pretty low. These projects are pretty stable and successful. The returns are, I mean, that's, that's not exactly what we're looking at when we're talking about commercial real estate in the U.S. even today. There's no cash flow from it and the returns are, are kind of limited on the upside. But yeah, if something comes up, I'm happy to take it and we'll see where the business goes. You know, right now we're still expanding. We have more people feeding into us and people who are joining our team. They like the way we operate. They see how we operate on the inside. And as we expand, we'll have to see what opportunities come our way.
1: Nice. No, it's just exciting, uh, you know, to meet somebody that's successfully raising capital in U.S. and partnering with deals in the U.S. from so far away. It's neat to hear, you know, what you plan to do and that you're open to different things and depends on where the deals are, right? But what's been the like hardest part of this syndication journey for you? This is really my
0: first business that I built from the ground up. And when you get into real estate and you get into a field where there's so many things happening, there's so much money floating around. And now with all the technology coming into it, what really hurt me in my first year was I was running in many different directions. There's so many exciting things happening. And eventually I learned the lesson. You just gotta just cut it all out. And I remember I told my partner, I'm like, okay, what we're doing is, is come April 1st, we're just stopping everything but core operations. We're just raising money for these deals. We're not doing all these other fun things we were chasing after. And that's when things really started to gel and come together and move forward.
1: So it was really, I mean, just coming back to a focus for you and your partner, just figuring out where the focus is and moving forward. And that's hard. And I mean, that's difficult. You feel like all these other things are good and they may be good, but they're not what's best.
0: Yeah. And you know, if I had just done that, maybe that would have been right also, but you can't do everything.
1: Yeah. So what's a way that you all have improved your business recently, though, that we could all apply to ours? Could be anything. Could be some type of tech. Could be some type of, I don't know, anything.
0: I guess the last time I made a major change to the way I operated was was about a year ago when I decided I really needed to build out a stronger digital ground game. I was always kind of weak on the digital side. I always felt that no one's going to invest with me if I just go on social media and post stuff and... Like you can't make relationships based on that. What did I know? So I kind of focused on, you know, some advertising and networking and meeting people. And I was driving all over the place meeting with all these people and I was wasting a lot of time. Then I started getting into LinkedIn a little bit. And I saw how you could really develop genuine relationships with people obviously you can't just post There's a lot more to the game but that's the starting point and you can use it as a real springboard to build relationships i always tell people i just view linkedin as like a networking event that you can just always go to and always meet people And a networking event just go there and stuff your card in their face it's not going to work but if you use that as a springboard to have another conversation later and you go for coffee and you schmooze and you build it up you can build genuine relationships that way and that was a real game changer for me there's just so much to do with it. I have, I not say a roadmap fully drawn out yet, but I have a lot of ideas that are on the back burner because I'm only doing one piece at a time right now. And that was a big part of it. Beyond that, I decided to put out a lot more digital content. I started the newsletter and I have my blog post and I started producing a lot more industry-related or just general wealth-related content. I put at that course. As a year old, I really want to go back and right now I'm working on one project. And then the next project after that is to go back and update the course at which point I may even be giving, I'll probably do it did last time, which is I raffled it off to a number of people and quite a few of those people who won the course and took the course actually became investors afterwards. I guess the biggest takeaway from all this is you always have these limitations in your mind. like, Like, I can do this, but that's not for me. And then you sit down and you just do it and it won't be perfect the first time. It won't even be great the first time, but you keep plugging away at it and you can build out a digital ground game. You can build out a digital funnel. You can build out some great content and you get better and better over time. So, you know, just don't sell yourself short.
1: That's a great idea, though, the raffle and yeah, giving that away. And that's incredible to hear, though. I mean, it paid off. Congratulations to you. You had a couple of people invest that went through that. So what is your best advice for, you know, caring for investors so they want to come back? Caring for investors? Yeah, treating them in a way they want to come back. What's the most important thing?
0: Well, I mean, this isn't always relevant, but you can't put people in the wrong deals. You know, you got to make sure it's right for the people, for me especially. But sometimes I am dealing with less sophisticated investors. I had someone call me up just today and he wanted to put money in my deal. And I basically turned him down because, you know, given where he was in life and given how much money he had, I felt that the risk was too high. You could very easily find yourself in a situation where you're going to need this money in the next two or three years and it won't be available to you. So you really got to go in with the mentality of what's good for my investors. And at this point, I've been doing it for so long, it's not even much of a challenge anymore. It's not like I have this like tug of war, oh, but it's really good for me. Like you become second nature. You just got to focus on what's best for your investors. And if you do that, they'll see that it's genuine. They'll pick up on it. And that's how you build the trust, which this whole business is built on trust.
1: Couldn't agree more about that. The relationship component and yeah is so important. What about your way that you like to give back? For starters, I feel
0: that the business I started has that component in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not chasing after these. You know, I'm not saying anything wrong with doing that, but I'm not chasing after ultra high net worth individuals. Also, I tell people, oh, I, I'm in real estate. They're like, oh, I know this guy. He invests in deals. He's got like millions of dollars. I'm like that's not really my target market, and I'm not really sure I can really bring him anything better than what he's seeing because you know I'm a syndicator. I understand that for people who have lots of money, they get deals all the time. So I'm not adding value to him. So I don't see necessarily a reason to meet him. The core business is helping these people out. You know, I also have a day job. I work in technology as well. And that's not necessarily helping anyone in such a direct manner. So I really view the core business of real estate and just the content that I publish. And I get such great feedback from people. Like I've had people tell me that like, that have changed how they approach their entire financial life from stuff I put out on LinkedIn, which is incredible.
1: That is incredible. That's a big compliment, isn't it? I mean, that they're following you and yeah. they're learning from your content. That's awesome. Well, David, you've been a great guest, and I appreciate you elaborating on just the international component and how that's worked for you, and and just how you've networked through LinkedIn. And I liked how you talk about LinkedIn as like this networking event that's just always there. You know, it's it would help us if we viewed it that way, wouldn't it? I mean, you're not coming to all the conferences in the US all the time, but but you have been successful at networking in the US, uh, even though you're living so far away. And congratulations to you. But thank you again for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you.
0: Yes. Yeah, so as I said, I'm on LinkedIn, D-O-V-I-D-P-R-E-I-L. Also, my website is ydlpinvestments.com. You can sign up there for a newsletter. There's a contact form and by email at dovid at ydlpinvestments.com.
1: So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow.
0: Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital